feel like I keep wanting to go on with that music. I love that music. Good morning. We are continuing on today with our study out of the book of Titus, an expository series that will take us virtually through the month of June, and then we'll start something fresh in July and August leading up to the fall uh, when we will kick off some new things after Back to Church Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, please take them and join me today in Titus chapter 2. Today could be life-changing for you. I just want to make that very clear. Titus chapter 2. So if I could summarize Paul's instruction to his young protege Titus, it would be something along these lines. Titus, your mission, and you cannot refuse it, is to go all over the island of Crete to install qualified leadership in all of the churches so that they may teach the people of God how to live godly lives of good works amongst a very godless and fallen culture. Titus, this message will not self-destruct because God knew the day would come where Grace Church would need the instructions that are found in this pastoral epistle for us to be effective in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what I love about this little book. This little book is perhaps one of the most practical books you will find anywhere in the scriptures. I mean, we are as a church are planning to do exactly what we've been looking at in verses 5 through 9. We're looking to change up our, our church government. We're looking to come into accordance with what Paul taught Titus to do on the island of Crete and what Paul taught Timothy to do in the city of Ephesus. We're going to be moving towards an elder form of leadership here at Grace Church. I don't know how you get any more practical than that. We're ultimately changing how we do things here based upon the teachings of these pastoral epistles in the life of Grace Church. So we're, 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 we're squeezing the scriptures and squeezing out of them all the goodness we can. And it's going to make a big difference in the life of this church. Today, it's going to potentially make a big difference in your life too. Because today we're going to move from that first section about growing the God's people in godliness in the church, and we're going to move today to the home, into the personal life that each and every one of us possesses. Today we're going to look at how to be holy. How many of you heard messages on how to be holy? Yeah, you hear a lot of messages on how to be saved. Amen. People need to be rescued from their, from their sins. But you don't hear so often messages on how to become holy in Christ Jesus. That's the focal point of what Titus has to say today and what we're going to be considering on a practical level in each of our lives today. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at a few verses together. So notice with me, Titus 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, Titus, now this is in contrast to the false teachers that he had just finished speaking about in chapter 1. But as for you, Titus, what I want for you to do is I want you to teach, now notice this, what accords with sound doctrine. By that he means this, I don't want you just to teach sound doctrine. I want you to teach a lifestyle that's consistent with sound doctrine. So I want you to help the people of God to know what it means to live lives that are consistent with the teachings of the Word of God. So with that in mind, he addresses the older men first. We'll talk about who that is in just a minute. 
The older men, they are to be sober-minded. You see, being sober-minded is what is in accord with sound doctrine or the teaching of Scripture. They are to be dignified. This is what's in accord with sound doctrine or the teachings of the Bible. They are to be self-controlled, which is in accord with sound doctrine. By the way, the word self-controlled shows up here for the older men. It shows up for the women. It shows up for the younger man. And it also shows up later here that that's one of the most consistent themes that is in accord with sound doctrine, being self-controlled. Older men are also to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, and I'll be careful in, in treating that one, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Why? Because that's what's in accordance with sound doctrine. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine, but they are to be able to teach what's good because that's in accordance with sound doctrine. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children because that's what accords with sound doctrine. Down at verse 10 is kind of a summarization of, of what his desire is for Titus in the lives of God's people. And he says this, so that, all of this, all of this is said so that, in everything, they may, notice, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What he's saying is this, we, the people of God, have the ability and the opportunity to actually live the word, to beautify the gospel in the eyes of people who are lost and hurting. You know, somebody said this, we are the only Bible most people are ever going to read. And what Titus is being instructed to do here is help the people of God live lives that are consistent with what the Bible says. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a minute. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. I'd like to, for us to pray together because what we're going to be sharing is truth that the Holy Spirit really has to whittle home in our hearts. So let's bow our heads together. Bless you. <sighs> Father, your word is rich. It is overflowing with its beauty and its majesty, with its truth, and with its instruction. That's especially true of the portion of Scripture we're about to look at together. There is so much richness that has the ability to radically transform our lives if we can but grasp it and see it and understand it and embrace it by the work of the Holy Spirit. So I pray this morning, Father, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to do by your grace. Father, help us, because apart from you, we can't do this. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name, and the people of God said, and the people of God said, come on, there we go. Let's, let's track with each other, shall we? All right, so the challenge of what is in front of us is, is simply this. It is the ability to live out the gospel in our lives and so adorn the word of God. How can that even be possible? Let me help you. Back in 1993, in uh, Salamanca, Spain, there was a, a meet being held 
And there was a young Cuban by the name of Javier Sotomayor who went on to do something that day that no man in history had ever done and no man since that day has yet achieved. That day, Mr. Sotomayor jumped over eight feet in the high jump. It was quite, quite an event. I'm the Spanish high hurdles champion. Javier Sotomayor then, 25-year-old Cuban, already holds the world record at 2.44. He'd set that at this very stadium, or it's set at 2.43, back in this very stadium in 1988. 2.44, the uh, world record holder, an Olympic champion, his world record holder at the moment. Here he is at 2.45. This is second attempt at that height. Remember, he'd won at Crystal Palace four days previously in the rain where he'd cleared 2.40. That was a UK all-comers record. He'd beaten Schoberg and Smith very comfortably there. He's 1 meter 95 tall. That converts to around 6 foot 5. And that was 2 meters 45. A new world record for Sotomayor. The only man who has gone over 2.43 or higher. And there it is, being uh, congratulated by a great number of his teammates. The world indoor champion earlier on this year, Vale there, the uh, high hurdler, hugging him the hardest, I think. But Javier Sotomayor, who lives a very modest lifestyle, we understand, in Cuba, will go as a result of that jump and his quality throughout uh, the season as to Stuttgart's very strong favourite. Yes, I was talking to him in Havana at the World Cup last year, uh, Tim, and he didn't win there, in fact. Half a dozen Cubans did. And he said after his Olympic title last year, he finally got air conditioning and the refrigerator in his house. <laughs> he finally got air conditioning and a refrigerator. Yes, that's what happens when you win in Cuba. Think with me. Just what a feat this is. From the, the floor height that you're sitting on, he jumped that high. That's the height of a hockey goal, or a hockey goal, of a, a soccer goal. He jumped 8 feet, 0.36 inches. The only man to have ever hit that height. And 24 years later, nobody has beaten that record. It's astounding to think what he did. But what I want you to understand is all serious high jumpers since that date till now have set the bar at 8 feet 0.36 inches in an effort to try and beat his record. How many have succeeded? None. None. And yet they set it up there as an ideal. And everyone who is a high jumper is trying to stretch to reach this height, this ideal, this goal with their uh, efforts. When it comes to the issue of holiness in our lives, God's standards for holiness are very, very high. Quite frankly, it is doubtful that any of us will completely clear the standard that God sets. However, it is by constantly seeking to achieve the ideal that we will get closer and closer to it in our experience. If we never keep going after the ideal, we will never grow in that part of our lives. So God sets these high ideals for older men and older women and younger men and younger women. And they're like, oh, those are almost impossible. Yeah, they probably are. But if you never seek to achieve them, you'll never get closer to them and you'll never become godly in Christ Jesus. So this is the high standard God sets. How, how can we seek 
to jump this high. Here we go. It just so happens that in the context of Titus, chapter 2, we have the answer. The answer to how we can fly high and become more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. It's found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. My friends, it takes the grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, you will never seek to grow in holiness, and you will never see a transformation of your life. There is a ton, a ton of good stuff in this. So I'm just going to start breaking it down. If you're taking notes, start taking them quickly. Okay, here we go. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. What does that even mean? For the grace of God has appeared. Who appeared? Jesus. Jesus appeared. So the grace of God here is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. For Jesus appeared. And it goes on to say, bringing salvation for all people. Not that all people get saved, but Christ provides the means of salvation for those who will come to him, get down on their knees, and repent of their sins, embrace Christ with their life. He gives to them eternal life. But the grace of God is Jesus. It is not some nebulous principle. It's not some kind of theological thought or category. The grace of God is Jesus. Spell Jesus with me. G-R-A-C-E. No, you didn't get it. Okay, spell grace with me. J-E-S-U-S. You get it. Jesus is the grace of God. You don't believe something else. You don't do something to embrace uh, salvation. Jesus is salvation. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son doesn't have a life. He is the grace of God. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says this, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the grace of God. He saves us. Amen? And he sanctifies us. Notice this. For the grace of God, God's grace, his name is Jesus, appeared to bring salvation to us through his work on the cross. And it says he's training us. He's training us. Jesus is our trainer. Did you know you have a personal trainer? Yeah, you thought that was only for other people. No. The moment you step into this thing called eternal life, Jesus Christ now becomes your personal trainer. And his goal in our lives is to train us towards holiness. Uh, again, the word to train here means to instruct. He will instruct us. He will educate us. It means to correct or give guidance. It can even mean to discipline with punishment. Oh, we don't like that one. No, we don't like that one. So let's pick it. No, it's part of how he does this. Grace. Jesus takes seriously the transformation of our lives. How could Paul say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, I am convinced, he says, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. How can he be so sure that Jesus will do that? Because when Jesus saves you, he now trains you. It's his mission in your life to make you like himself. So Jesus is training us. He saves us. He trains us. And what does he train us to do? To what? Yeah. 
One of his missions in our lives as our new trainer in godliness is to teach us to say no. No. You see, before we came to Christ, we had a game we liked to play. It's called limbo. How low can you go? Come on, man, yeah, we have people around us and friends near us. Come on, man, you can go lower. Let's go beer bonging. Come on, you can go lower. Let's go, let's go bar hopping. Hey, come on, you can go lower. She likes you. You should shack up tonight. Come on, you can go lower. The whole world plays limbo, and the goal is to go as low as you can, and the deeper you go, the deeper you go into depravity. And what Jesus is saying here is he's training us to say, no. No, I'm not playing that game anymore. No, I refuse to continue to live in the life and the lifestyle that I have been living in because there's somebody new in my life, somebody who loves me and somebody who gave his life for me and somebody that I want to live for because I love him. It's a love relationship that Jesus Christ gives with us. When we come by by faith, a repentance and faith into salvation, we begin a relationship. And this relationship leads us to say no because I want to please him. I want to show him how much I love him. You know, there's a lot of fuzzy thinking when it comes to the love of God. Please hear this. When you come to the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, through repentance and faith. God creates in you a new life. You become a child of God. You're given a new heart. And there is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You are perfectly loved in this person of his son, Jesus Christ. So the love of God is perfectly consistent. Let me also say this. There is nothing you do that God cannot forgive because Jesus paid it all. Amen? So I want you to understand that once you're a child of God, there is nothing you can do that can make God love you more and make God love you less. But let me say this. Just because God accepts you on the basis of Jesus Christ doesn't mean he approves of everything you do. Do you hear me, parent? We love our kids. We love our kids. And there's nothing that will ever keep us from loving our kids. We accept our kids for who they are. We embrace them because they're our kids. But let me ask you, does your kid ever make you upset? Does your kid ever make you sad? Does your kid ever make you smile? You know, uh, Elisha is getting ready to go to Peru. And I meant what I said when he walked down from here. I have no greater joy than to hear that my son walks in the truth. I will always love him no matter what course he takes in life. I will always embrace him as my son no matter what he does. But to hear he's walking with Jesus makes me happy. I am so grateful and so excited. That's God the Father with us. He will always accept us in Christ. That doesn't mean he's always happy with us. And so he's saying, renounce ungodliness. Renounce uh, wickedness, the way you used to live. Stop playing limbo. It's time to start striving for the heights of holiness. I think it's important that we understand that because too often we turn the love of God into this sentimental thing that simply says, no matter what you do, it doesn't really matter because you can do whatever you want. That's true, you probably can. But that doesn't mean it's pleasing to the Father. 
And that's what we really want, is to please the Father. And so, the world says, how low can you go? But the grace of God, Jesus, coaches us, coaches us up. No, how high can you fly by my grace? And again, I think it's too bad. You know, if we think of grace as a thing, just something rather than the heart of the person of Jesus Christ, I think too often we can take it as carte blanche. You know, it's complete freedom to act however we wish. It really doesn't matter. And rather, and so what happens is this. We begin to think. So God's free gift of forgiveness is, is there from all sin. His free gift of, of forgiveness from sin is always there. It is. We begin to think, ooh. That means that the more I sin, the more of God's grace I get, right? Stays the reason, doesn't it? The more I sin, the more grace I get, because God's grace overcomes sin. Hmm. So we can go down that pathway. However, the Apostle Paul made it very clear. That that's a slippery slope you don't want to go on. He said this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to live in our sin, playing limbo with our lives? How low can we go? Somehow that grace may abound because God will forgive me? What's it say? That in the Greek construction is the strongest negative construction you can make. Ume. No way! That, that's not how you're to think if you understand that grace isn't a concept. It's a person. It's Jesus. And you want to do that to him? You don't understand what grace is. If you could just freely live in sin, somebody died for that sin. Somebody's coaching to live in godliness to please the Father. You don't get it. By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. So Jesus is training us, the grace of God is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To say no to the friends who want us to do what we used to do. To say no to those things that we know don't please God. I'm going to take one more little step forward here. Sometimes I'm afraid we think that grace is somehow something that just happens to you. You know, um, you can't earn grace, amen? You can't earn grace, amen? That's right, you cannot earn grace. You cannot earn a relationship with Jesus Christ. You either fall on your knees and embrace him as your Lord and Savior, or you don't get it. But that doesn't mean that grace is against effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Notice how Paul instructed Timothy, Titus's compatriot, who was living in the ungodly city of Ephesus. This is what he said. Hey, Timothy, I want you to, go away, I want you to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. That's hardcore. Do you see that? It's not like, oh, Lord, take these things away from me. Here I go. No, no. If we're going to do this, Coach Jesus, Coach Christ is saying, no, come on. You can do this. You have to, you have to, it takes effort. It takes real effort to get to where he wants us to go. Flee and then pursue. Uh, again, uh, Hebrews kind of taunts us with, this wor with this, these words. In your struggle against sin, have you, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What? Shedding my blood? God's grace saves us. God's grace trains us in holiness 
to be more like Jesus in our lives. To say no to the old sinful habits and to say yes to godliness. Lives that are self-controlled, upright, godly lives. That's what he's training us to do. Again, it's not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. Paul said this concerning himself. It is by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, notice, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I like that with me. Coach Jesus is coaching him up. Come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. You can do this, Paul. Harder, Paul. Harder, Paul. Harder, Paul. I did it, but it wasn't really me that did it. It was the grace of God with me. Jesus, he did it in me. Again, the word of God is not indifferent or placid when it comes to the pursuit of holiness. It actually calls us to great effort. Again, Peter, in in speaking to the, the folks that he was writing to, he said this. For this very reason, I want you to make every effort to supplant, uh, supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing effort, effort, effort. They keep you from being ineffectual and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten what he was cleansed from, his former sins. Therefore, brothers, sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. The pursuit of holiness takes effort. But the effort that it takes comes from the grace of God. Jesus, our coach, coaching us up. Again, Paul, speaking of uh, this this whole aspect in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out. The word is ergomai. It is the idea of working out, like picking up weights and lifting them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. It's no longer how low can you go. It's how high can you fly. And Coach Jesus is coaching us up to pursue holiness with our lives. And can I just be frank with you again? We will fail most of the time. And all God's people said, it's the truth. Very rarely will we ever clear it. And if we do clear it, the next time we'll bump into it and fall down. But it's in the pursuit of the ideal that we become more like that ideal. It's in the pursuit of trying to clear his goals that we become like those goals in our lives. Okay, with that backdrop, here we go. So, right now, we're going to kind of talk about what this whole idea of older men and older women means. I got in trouble with my wife on this definition, so uh, let's just see how well we do. Okay. 
Let's begin by considering 10 signs that you're getting older. Okay? Okay. Here we go. Well, number one, you quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who walks into the room. Number two, you're proud of your lawnmower. I know some of you. Number three, your arms are almost too short to read the newspaper. You read a newspaper at all. <clears throat> Number four, your conversation involves words like scopes and polyps. I'm speaking your language. Number five, you don't need an alarm clock to get up at 6 a.m. Number six, you wake up in the morning and your waterbed has sprung a leak, and then you realize you don't have a waterbed. <laughs> Number eight, the little gray haired lady you helped across the street is your wife. <laughs> Number nine, I like this one. You finally get to greener pastures, but you can't climb the fence. <laughs> Number 10, you find yourself smiling at these. George Burns had another way of trying to assess his age. Uh, George Burns, the man who lived to be nearly 100 years old, he said this. He said that tennis is a game for young people. Until age 25, you can play singles. From there until age 35, you should play doubles. He goes, I won't tell you my age, but the last time I played, there were 28 people on the court. <laughs> and that was just on my side of the net. You know, none of us wants to be called old or even older. And yet the reality is this, the older men and older women in context in, in Titus chapter 2 are those whose children have grown and potentially have grandchildren because it says that the older women are teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So it appears that the older men, the older women might be those who are old enough to have uh, children who have grown up to have uh, grandchildren. To be more specific, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, said this, an older man or woman is somebody who is 50 years of age or older. Interesting. Hippocrates, the Bible, and AARP all agree <laughs> that for some reason, 50 seems to be that magic age where you are considered older. And so if you are 50 years old or older in here, the ethical instructions that Paul is giving to the older men and the older women qualify to you. But the reality is, these are really kind of general terms, so they, they can really apply to all of us. But the focal point today is going to be on the older men. I won't even get to the older women and all God's women said, till next week. <laughs> um, yes, and so uh, and then in two weeks, we'll do the younger women, and then on Father's Day, we're going to do the younger men. How perfect is that? Bambi looked at me, and she said, I don't like you. <laughs> because according to this standard, she qualifies as being older. So when you see her, just, just look at her and say, you look younger to me. You look younger to me. So here we go. We're going to now define what older men uh, should be looking like as we pursue holiness in our lives. So, the high bar of holiness that Jesus Christ is urging us to jump over, though he knows we will fail often, and there's plenty of grace and forgiveness when you fail. He says this, 
They are to be, and this is an exhortation, it is urging, how high can you fly? Notice, older men are to be sober-minded. If you're 50 years of age or older and you are a man, that means that our lives now show moderation and clear-headedness. Having cast off the excesses and extravagance of the world we live in, our lives now are in accordance with biblical priorities. We live with eternity's values in view, quite frankly, because we're closer to eternity than we've ever been before. Amen? You know, we need to start living like we're about to see Jesus instead of just playing the world's game of, hey, how low can you go? How much can you make? How much can you tuck away? How secure and comfortable are you in your retirement? No, no. Very different. Very different. Older men are to be dignified. That means worthy of respect. As an older man in Christ, we are to be those that younger men can look up to. We characterize those who through the stockpile of experience have learned that sin and its accompanying pleasures are not worth the cost. And are in sharp, sharp contradiction to the purity that God calls us to. How high can you fly? How high can you fly, older man? This is what we're called to. We are called to dignify the word of God. Help people to see that Jesus makes a difference as they look at our lives. Older men are to be self-controlled. Again, the word self-controlled is used virtually for every people group, no matter what your age is. And this is that we are thoughtful and not careless. We have learned to keep our thinking wholesome and our language clean and our actions right. We are those who show discernment and discretion in life. Older men are called to live with self-control. And this last one actually encompasses three things. We are sound in, that means we are healthy. We are healthy. This is areas where we are meant to be vital, strong, and growing. And that's in our faith our love, and our steadfastness. These three virtues relate to every area of our lives. Dear older men, and I'm speaking to myself, dear older men, those 50 years of age and older in Jesus Christ, are you sound in faith? This is your vertical relationship with God. We are to be strong and growing in the faith of the word and in our faith of trusting Jesus Christ. We are to be strong or sound in love. This is the horizontal relationship with others. You know what happens as we get older? We have a tendency to become very self-focused. I've spent my whole life working for others. The latter end of my life is all about me and my retirement and me having a good time and enjoying life. Whoever told you that? AARP? Thank you. Yeah, Jesus never told you that. Did you know heaven is referred to as our rest? You're not supposed to stop striving for the bar until you see him face to face. We're not supposed to stop seeking holiness until we see him face to face. You don't get a pass as you hit a certain age. In love, in love, looking for ways to selflessly reach out and help others, especially spiritually. And sound in, healthy in, steadfastness. This is key. This is the inward attitude toward life. Steadfastness in the face of hardships. Steadfastness 
in the struggles that come with advancing years, steadfastness in the face of weakness and loneliness, thwarted hopes and dreams. In the face of all those things, we are steadfast, striving to live to please Him. That's a long way. And you know what happens over the course of time? You try, and you fail. And you try, and you fail. And you try, and you fail. And so right now, in your heart and mind, you have a whole history of failure. So why should I keep trying? And so we kind of do something called sin management. Sin management is where we choose today to fail at limbo. Oh, oh, I didn't make it. Oh, oh, I didn't make it. How bad is that? You see, rather than striving for holiness, we're now at this point where we're trying to manage or we're trying to live with the sin that is in our lives and we're accommodating it. That happens as we get older. Because we've got a whole history of proving that we can't live this. But you never stop striving. You never give up. You see, that's what perseverance means. You don't give up no matter you just keep jumping high. And when you fail, the grace of God forgives you as you confess it and you jump again. Don't do this. Sin management is another word for hypocrisy. We live and walk around like, we're good, we're good, we're good, I'm good. No, you're not. You get this whole area of your life that's over here you're sinning in. This says, I fail. And I seek confession and forgiveness with Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between those two things. One's authentic, the other pretends. It's called legalism. You know, uh, in the face of such a difficult stretch, such a difficult leap over the course of a lifetime, it's easy to want to give up. So I want to give you two things that I hope will encourage you to not give up, or if you have given up, to get back in the game. The first thing is some models. Some people who haven't given up, and yet they are in the advanced years of life, and they are continuing to persevere in this thing called holiness, but not a one of them would ever say they were holy. And that is what... These people are in the life of the church. Can you advance me one up there, guys? Maybe not, eh? Thank you. That's who elders are. Elders are not perfect men. Oh, my gosh. Let me show you. These two guys, they're the babies of the group. I just want you to know that. We both qualify as being older men because we're both 53. Uh, Steve and I were born on exactly the same day in exactly the same year. Not in the same hospital to the same mother. I just want you to know that. But we're, we're both 53. We're babies. Uh, over here, um, Dennis is, oh, 58-ish. He's getting up there. Uh, Jack, I have no idea how old you are. How old are you, Jack? Okay, so Dennis is older than you. All right, so you're the next baby. Uh, Matt's in his 60s at this point. God bless you, man. 
here he is. This is the man who refuses to give up. This is the man who sets the record in our congregation that I know of for never failing to pursue holiness in his life. And yet, Jerry, how old are you? 86. Yeah, amen. Amen. That man inspires me. Don't give up. I mean, the other day he was sending me something. Pastor Bill, I noticed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this whole section on love, that if I started making the personal applications of this, it's helping me to grow my walk with the Lord. I'm thinking, Jerry, you're 85 years old. He's not stopping. Pursue him. Pursue him. Pursue him. Jump and jump and fail and fail. But the more you jump, the closer you get to what it really is. These are models for you. We're persevering. We're not perfect. That's God's, God's goal in your life is perseverance, not perfection. He wants progress, not perfection. Perseverance is what he's after. So I want to give you some role models. And not a one of those guys would feel comfortable with that, including me, because we fail every day. But we confess it. And we keep jumping. White men don't jump real well. At least this one doesn't. But let me give you one other key that will hopefully help you strive towards holiness. Back to our original gentleman, Javier Sotomayor. What is it that made him get up before the crack of dawn every day, run all those miles, get to the gym early, lift all those weights, go without certain things that everybody else enjoyed, whether it was foods or things? What is it that made him so aggressive? What is it that enabled him to keep pushing on, even though everybody else around him said, you know, what's, what's the point? Why are you doing this? What does it matter? You say, well, he's Cuban. <laughs> and if he didn't, he'd get shot, right? No, 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 no. This was back in that day. Yeah, Fidel Castro, all that good stuff. No, something bigger than that. Something bigger than that. What caused this man to sacrifice so greatly in order to perform at a high level is this. It's envisioning himself on the podium. Having the medal be put around his neck. Hearing his national anthem played in a stadium at the Olympics. Knowing the acclaim that he would receive and the thanks that he would be given by all his countrymen. And when he got home, Fidel himself would shake his hand and give him a refrigerator and an air conditioner. He visualized himself at the end enjoying the fruits of what he labored for. Older men, I'm going to give you an image that I want you to have emblazoned on your heart and on your mind as we talk about striving for holiness and saying no to ungodliness. And it's this image. We do not cease to to run the race, a mixed metaphor, we do not cease until the last time we jump toward holiness, we land in the arms of our coach, who is Christ. Jesus himself embraces us and says these words, well done, well done. 
Do you want to get to the end of your life and stand in the presence of Jesus Christ who will examine your life for gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble? Have him rejoice over you, give you a crown for persevering or watch your entire life burn up and you just barely made it by the skin of your teeth and your father is saddened by your performance. This should move us. This should motivate us every day to be out there seeking to honor the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, and with all our lives. Because the day is coming where I want to hear, well done, well done, to receive praise from he alone who is praiseworthy is its own reward. And then he will say, you have been faithful over a little I will now set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Renounce. Renounce those things that you used to do. Repent of those things you still are doing. start striving. Start reaching for holiness. You may clear the bar once in a while and you get all proud and then you'll fall again. But don't stop striving for holiness. Older men, I'm speaking to my guys. I'm one of you. The younger men need to know what it looks like. Just as the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and their children, the older men are to show the younger men what it means to be a man don't know today and we get to show them what it really means let's pray together heavenly father thank you for your strong admonitions to us thank you for jesus the grace of god